Hi, I'm Brian Boger. Welcome to my podcast, Flipping the Lid. I'm a husband, father, entrepreneur, and well, just a human being like you. I've faced personal tragedy, significant trauma. I've dealt with shame, anger, and self-doubt, all of which have created a ripple effect of damage in my world. I'm grateful that I've learned the importance of looking and going inside to create, repair, unpack, and reach levels of success that I never believed possible. Now as a coach, keynote speaker, and author, I'm fascinated by the stories that have shaped some of our world's most significant and successful individuals. So we're gonna flip the lid and take a look inside the stories that have shaped their lives and success. And we'll be featuring a number of individuals who have literally flipped the lid in their lives and businesses. Welcome to Flipping the Lid. Let's go jump in. Welcome back everybody to Flipping the Lid. You know what we do here by now. We look inside the stories that have shaped some of the most significant successful people creating impact in the world. And today we have someone that is absolutely doing that. Though I don't know the depths of all of his stories to date, I do know that he's been an individual that has existed in a high level of performance in multiple categories in his life. From Ninja Warrior to being a host of Ninja Warrior to being actually involved with NBC, an award-winning host on NBC. And this individual also is really tapped into helping men create better connections with themselves through community, understanding of themselves, and depth. And when you see this individual move through the world with a lightness, a, a gravity, and a humor, it is really a magnetic pull because you can tell that this man operates with heart. So Alex Weber, man, nice to meet you, brother. Oh, Brian, man, great to meet you. And that was uh, one of the, the kindest introductions and uh, I appreciate it, man. Thank you. Well, I'm happy to hear that, man. I, uh, I always like to have people hear how I see them at least in the little bit of research that I do when people come in this show, because I like to keep it pretty raw and real, so I don't go yeah. super deep. But yeah. <laughs> I do see some initial impressions, and your heart is very, very clear. Um, you know, that's that's how I introduced you, but who are you in your words, brother? Oof. Um, it's a great question, right? That's the existential question. Who are we? I, I'd say from a very early age, I have very much listened to whatever fire whatever I felt like I was called to do. And I used different language as a kid and then as an adult, but whatever that was in my heart, I have given everything to go after it, even when that's been unpopular or controversial or unlikely. And it has never steered me wrong. Even now I'm going through a moment of transition and I'm reminding myself that that is the answer. Because uh, if you are going to strike out, why not strike out? starting from a place of listening to your true heart and what you actually feel called to do with your heartbeats on earth. Yeah. I think that's really incredible even the way that you talked about it. And I appreciated that I saw you with so much heart and you even wrapped in heart at the end cool. of your comment there. It says a whole lot about even how you show up in the world. You know, you do talk about those unpopular, potentially controversial times, right? And and there's a lot of individuals that don't necessarily put themselves out there because of either the armor protection or mm -hmm. fear of judgment or criticism, right? And and those that do seem to put their necks out there sometimes look like they're just fearless. I'd mm -hmm. like you to take us back to a time when you did something that was unpopular and was controversial, whether it's in your life, relationships, or profession. And how did you identify and navigate yourself through that situation? 
Woof. Uh, gosh, man, there's, there's a few moments like this, you know, I won't go chronologically, but just to, to hop in. I mean, the first time was when I, I played division one lacrosse. That was my dream. I was a bullied, insecure kid. And when lacrosse came into my life, it was this one place where it made sense. I knew that if I play, it was an outlet where I could, I could play hard. I felt comfortable. It was okay to make mistakes there. I got friends. I got confidence. I had a goal. I had an amazing coach who looked after me, Paul Carcaterra. And uh, so I played division one lacrosse and I was going to go into finance. And it wasn't my seat till my senior fall that I had the first real listening to my heart. And I asked, what do you want to do with your time on earth? Which I think is one of the most honest, scariest, and bravest uh, questions uh, you can ask yourself. Crazy fortunate question to ask yourself. And I really wanted to go into something having to do with entertainment and positivity and people. And I didn't know what that looked like, but that was the first time because I, I went to, I went to Penn. It's Ivy league. It's known for finance. Everybody on my team went into finance. It wasn't like I was, it was a great route. It just wasn't right for me. So that was the first time in my life of wholesale. I grew up in New York, left the East coast, moved to LA, knew nobody hit the ground running. That was the first biggest one where it was unpopular. Um, but that's gone on in my life of, I, I say chapters because, you know, I coached high school lacrosse when I got to LA and I found this beautiful world where it was this microcosm of people going after their dreams. And then I wanted TV hosting and um, American Ninja Warrior and every single one of those, I listened to my heart. What, when you say unpopular, what I have to acknowledge is that in 2020 and 2021, I knew that if my purpose on earth, which I'm very clear on, is to help people, to be a voice, to be a leader for good for humanity. That's what I've done winning US Lacrosse Coach of the Year, being a TV host, being an author and a speaker. That's my purpose on earth. It changes the expression of it, but that's my purpose. If that is my purpose, then when there's shady things, evil things, dark things going on in the world, how can I not speak up about it? Right. And I spent a year... Um, trying to not speak up. And that was the darkest time of my life. Depression, suicidal thoughts, substance abuse, because you go to sleep with your soul. You can't outrun it. You can't outrun your mind, your heart, your soul. It knows. And finally, I just thought, you know what? I, I cannot keep living this way, repressing what I feel called to do. So I'll start to, to speak out a bit. And I used what I believe are gifts and abilities. I used humor. I used heart. I used like heat, passion, and made some viral videos that uh, just poking fun of some of the absurdity over those last years and how it didn't seem to really look after people, some of what was going on. And it was controversial because at the time, it had consequences with family, being uninvited to family trips. I was asked to officiate my two of my best friend's wedding and then unasked to officiate my best friend's wedding. Um but you go to sleep with your soul. So if you feel called to do something, we can only repress it for so long before it shows itself in a dangerous way. And maybe that dangerous way is just acting out and being mean or curt to the person you love. Maybe it's substance abuse or being a workaholic. And so, you know, I cite that one, but I've felt that in all areas of my life. And I work with a lot of high achievers now. And it's, if we don't, figure out what's going on internally, we're going to get a little reckless externally. Yeah. 
you know, we're seven minutes into talking, maybe 10 if we talk about our pre-interview. That's as long as I've known you. But what I want to really make sure that is very clear is you are an incredible communicator and your access, both integrating the intellectual as well as the emotion and depth mm. in every single way that you are guiding your thoughts, emotions, and words is really powerful. And I just wanted to acknowledge that before we go any further, because you embedded a whole lot in that answer, right? Thank I mean, you, there's bro. 15 things I want to unpack and we're not going to have the time to do all of it. <laughs> um, I appreciate you going there. Can I, I want to ask one point of clarification because it, it yeah. seemed embedded and implied, but not clear, at least in the way that I heard it. Mm -hmm. Is that fair? Yeah. Um, when you say that you lost these things, the officiating with your friends' weddings and these things, this yeah. is because of your decision to leave Penn or to go no, down the path, no, no. or, or sorry, to not go finance so, and to go a different no, route? No, 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 no. Great clarification. This was in 2020 and 2021, which like, it is hard to go back to that time. And even, no, it crept into 2022, I think, too. Uh, it's hard on the to concept of that, speaking out on stuff that's dark in the world. Things okay. that were controversial okay. in the world, okay. designed to be controversial, highly heated. Everyone has a very, and I just wanted to poke some questions, note yeah. some absurdity, use humor to do it. Yeah. Um, and uh, because of how intentionally heated those topics were, yeah. um, it wasn't, it was the first time I really experienced how people can love you and then hate you <laughs> quite simultaneously. Quickly. Yeah. And also though, how the people that you are helping and rallying for, defending, protecting, being a leader for, the depths of how much they truly love you because they need you. Yeah. Yeah. I wanna I wanna go back to the very beginning part of that journey. You talked about the lacrosse path and how when getting into the sport you finally felt like you found a rhythm in a place right mm -hmm. you know we talked about how we've got a good friend anthony trucks in common and, yeah, and his yeah. episode for this show actually launches the day that we're interviewing this so it launched oh, this morning go. and and i re-listened to it but it was you know i've heard him say this many times as we've shared stages or been in different places together yeah it, but but he you know he talked about how sports was the first place he could be loud it was the first place he could use his body physically. It was the first place that like he wasn't judged and criticized and all those yep. things. And, and really what I find in so many, so many high performers, and you didn't say it, but it, it's, it's implied in some ways as well. When you get into a sport that you also happen to be good at, that you have some natural talent in, that you get some affirmation right. from, it's really easy to feel seen for the first time ever. And so many high performers have learned to receive love, validation, and connection through performance. Yep. So when I say that to you, where do you fit in your understanding of yourself when you transitioned to lacrosse? And how would you say you've chased performance and connection historically? Yeah, I mean, that's a dense question. So I'll, I'll take it in a few different ways. The first way I just feel called to, to share is you are a creature. And I think it's important. And I love that word because you're a creature. It's a good word, man. I mean, it's it really such is. A good like, word. You know, because I think it embodies 
how gangly and tall and burly and hairy and big or small you are a creature and you're not that different than an elk or a lion or an octopus we're all freaking weird crafty trying to survive trying to thrive trying to protect creatures now i think it's important to have that awareness and then realize okay let's pay the mortgage Let's make sure we crush that leadership retreat. Let's take out our family for a nice Saturday brunch. We are operating in both realities, but a repressing of being a creature is going to show itself again in some kind of way. And I'm realizing this now, even as you know, we're talking that I think I need to find some more places in my life now where I can be a creature. Yeah, you, you see why people get drawn to going to the gym. It's okay to be a little worked up there or mm-hmm. yoga to touch in with yourself. Sex with your partner. Mm-hmm. You are allowed in society to be a creature there. There are some places where you can. And, and I think lacrosse was the first time where, just like what Anthony said, I could be a little nutty. Yeah. I could go as hard as I wanted and it was celebrated oh, yeah. versus so many other places where it's so stringent, you, you don't really feel like you can get messy. And I think yeah. that's what's so powerful for sports and kids and adults is it's a place where you can get messy in all yeah. ways of that word. You can screw around a little bit. Like I've, I won US Lacrosse Coach of the Year and one of my greatest joys was an athlete. And there's so many different archetypes of this, an athlete who wasn't even sure if he wanted to play. But in giving him a place to explore this, yeah. mess around a little bit, find a purpose, became a captain, went off and played in college. And, and, and I just think it's such a beautiful thing. So that's what lacrosse was for me first. But then I'll also say, when I graduated, lacrosse was everything to me. I played four years of Division I lacrosse in the Ivy League, then hard stop, boom, you're done. You're a former athlete. And this goes into identity. I didn't feel like a former athlete, but the world told me you are a former athlete. So I accepted that identity, Uh even though it crushed me. And I started to act out the part. I acted like a former athlete. I believed in myself like a former athlete. I drank like a former athlete. My waistline expanded like a former athlete. Truly, uh, my confidence went lower. And I'm so grateful to NBC American Ninja Warrior because when I got hired for that, I was a host. I had been hosting for FX. I had been hosting for the Grammys. I had transitioned into an identity of, cool, I'm TV host and I was doing stand-up comedy. I'm like a broyer Seacrest. That's great. That's what I'll be. Uh, <laughs> but, oh, that is so good. <laughs> <laughs> and when I started oh, to host with NBC American Ninja Warrior, what was so incredible, so many things, but they, I was doing the hosty host, but they also said, it'd be cool if you tried the obstacles. So I found myself back with athletes and then it started to be better for the show if I actually got good at it. So I found myself going to the gym with athletes. I found myself, I was kind of like, it was surreal. I was like, wait, I'm a former athlete, but now I'm back in the gym training. Is that how you met trucks? Yeah. Through Ninja Warrior. Yeah. Okay. I figured. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Uh, And uh, you know, that was such a blessing because it, it, overhauled my belief of I am a former athlete to I am an elite athlete Mm -hmm. and I'd never been older 
And so that is very real right now where I don't ever want to take my foot off the gas again because I'm honestly scared. And people, this is important, people who go after big goals, you need a big fiery reason. So my big fiery reason of why I do American Ninja Warrior is because I don't want to feel like I'm dying. If I really zoom out and get to the core of it, yes, there's cool things. It's great to be on TV. It supports speaking. I love the athletes. I love the sport. There's so many good things. At its core, I've never been older than I am right now. I'm at a moment where I see if I, if I let go a little bit, oh, that aches a little bit or I don't feel as good of myself. So why do I train for American Ninja Warrior? I don't want to feel like I'm dying. I love that answer on, on lots of levels. You know, you, you started with talking about how you were always given this gift to always chase your heart and whatever Uh, you felt that fire pulling you towards, but you also very clearly in the last answer talked about the impressions and beliefs on who the world told you who to be and how they impacted you to protect yourself, to create armor around that heart, to operate more intellectually in roles that you believed you needed to play. And how that was also a lack of congruence in self that led to destruction and you not feeling great and disconnected and isolated. You know, some people don't believe that like you can truly chase all of your dreams and go after everything with pure heart and not ever be affected by the outside world. You so clearly talked about the subtle effect of it and even the shift in identity. Yes. Can you talk about like how you became aware of that? And in those moments when you started to feel in, well, say like garbage or trash inside and it wasn't in alignment with who you are, how did you begin to give yourself permission to look inside and unpack it? I, it's, man, the, the, your questions are so great. They're, uh, they're dense in a great way. There's a lot of, of value to them. Um, Identity, and I know how how powerful Anthony Trucks is in speaking on this, and it's, I I think as an athlete, you just learn it because um, I'm very passionate about it as well because you start to believe certain things about yourself. Like I was a lefty attackman in lacrosse, and so I stopped even training my right hand. Like in lacrosse, you can go left, you can go right, and some people are more one-handed, and uh, it's just like, that was a concrete example of, I was a lefty attackman. Every time I ever played on, they were like, oh, you're a lefty, be the lefty attackman, you're lefty attackman, lefty attackman. But it had a very real impact on how I trained and believed in myself because I never worked on my right hand. I never even went oh, yeah, yeah. right in practice or things like that. And that truth exists for all of us. Someone yes. tells you a belief, you drew a picture. You're not that creative. And it just kind of festers and it grows. You're not that funny. You're not that athletic. You're not worthy of love. And it festers and it builds and it informs our relationships. And because it informs how we act, we actually accumulate more proof. We actually accumulate more proof that validates that false belief. And so it acts like it's more true. So the first thing is just questioning what is actually true about you and what maybe isn't. Or what could be evolved or what could be pushed back on or what could you learn or try or adopt a different belief? And it's, it's so pervasive. And, um, you know, right now I'm going through a breakup and it's one of those experiences where you forget 
how hard it is until you're going through it. And I'm noticing a belief pop up in me that I remember someone said to me one time, like, you have a big purpose. Maybe you just won't have a partner. Mm -hmm. And that terrifies me. Oh, yeah. Because I'm starting to see that belief get a little more traction in my head of, you know what, man? You love what you do. It's helping people. It's having an impact. Maybe this part of life isn't for you and you won't have a partner. And I'm, I'm, I'm really trying to work with myself to question that belief and not yeah. adopt it as true. Yeah. I, I, I deeply resonate with so many of the words that you choose and you and I literally communicate the same message just in our own words and frequencies your understanding of the human experience and the levels of protection and the ways to navigate going through Ooh. things. Um, how, how you just even described that situation is, is amazing. Like truly, I, I, I love it because you're able to recognize how you can be thinking about your thinking, thinking about your feeling, feeling your thinking and feeling right. your feeling so that you can truly understand where the lack of alignment or lack of congruence comes from in your intellectual and emotional narrative. I genuinely believe that most of the resistance in life comes when we have a misalignment between our intellectual and emotional narrative. Wow. But the problem is that most people don't actually understand how to embody the feeling to actually experience what it's pointing them towards. Can you talk to us a little bit about how you've experienced <sighs> feelings as a man in particular and some of the narratives that you either absorbed growing up or that you are working on breaking down today? Yeah, it's so powerful. So I, when I went through that really dark chapter in uh, 2020 into 2021, but 2020, I ended up uh, really having this moment of clarity where I wanted to be a man that I admired. And so I made a list of men that I admire and I realized, oh, that's what it is. I want to be a man that I admire. I want to be on the list. And I took out my phone that day and I recorded a video that said, hey, I'm Alex. I'm not a man I admire, but I want to be. And that has become a men's group that's been very powerful over the last right. two and a half years, helping men all over the country. It's called Men We Admire, to be men we admire together. And I say that to say, I'm not only speaking for myself, but I'm speaking for a lot of men. Um, we live in a time where it's beautiful that it's becoming accepted and encouraged that you can talk about how you're doing. And I have so many good guy friends that I genuinely could call and talk about how I'm doing. And that's such a blessing. I will also say that there are some inherent structural existings, and I'm going to have to generalize here, but of being a man, that it's tough to find this balance where Thunder. you do need to be strong. You do need to be safe, consistent, reliable, provider, tough, Am I generalizing? Of course. But you know what? I speak for me and a lot of men when I say that that's how we feel is we're trying a lot of to that's navigate true. this, a lot of that's this true. sweet spot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Navigate this sweet spot of how do I feel my feelings when the first half of my life was repress them, outwork it, suck it up and do it. So even if you understand conceptually, it's okay to feel feelings. If you're like me, I don't necessarily know how yeah. to feel the hard feelings without part of me saying, dude, go to the gym, go do work, yep. stop thinking about it. So, uh, and it's, and, and, but I'll also say, I think it's a beautiful part of what I believe a man 
what the, I'll say this, the man that I want to be, there's a million different ways to be a man. The man that I want to be is one though, that is strong, that is a provider, that is reliable, that is consistent, that is tough. And also and, has a deep yes. understanding of his feelings and the ability to navigate, manage, monitor them. Yeah. I appreciate your honesty in that answer as well to even admit that you don't know how. Yeah. Um, it wasn't long ago that I didn't know how. You know, you don't know my story yet. I'm not going to unpack it here right now because this show is about you. But the one comment I will say in reflection to that is, Let's take a conversation offline, my friend, because yeah. the concept of helping people feel and tap into feelings and understand what to do with them, how to move through them, regulate them, diffuse them, and uncouple the narratives that create beliefs, both intellectually and emotionally. Yeah. That's literally what I do. And that's why I'm called the garbage man, because I help people identify and take out the trash from their past. It continues to show up. Oh, that's amazing, man. And so we'll have that conversation. But yeah. I just wanted to say thank you for your honesty and admitting that you don't know how to feel the dark feelings without the need to try to go do something to escape mm -hmm. it. And all the patterns that that, you know, truly has created in each one of us as men. Um, I want to shift a little bit here because dude, you've given us so much already depth and I'm really grateful for the vulnerability that you've already started with. So, you know, I, on Ninja Warrior, I, I have watched that show. I've watched it with my, my son, especially Let's it's go. a great family show. My kids yes. love it. They always 100%. have their seven and nine. <laughs> And it was one of the few like shows on TV at, in the earlier years that we could have on that was appropriate for everyone. Yeah. And so yeah. I want to say thank you for the way that you've created the environment, <laughs> cool. being a part of the show on all aspects that you are. And that's really awesome. But, you know, it seems like you spent enough time in the water that they could have provided you with a snorkel. And, <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm curious your experience as a competitor and what other competitor had the most impact on you in your experience with the show so far? Yeah. So I'll give my quick arc with it. And it's something that, you know, in keynote speaking, I really dive into, but I was a TV host first. I, I hosted a uh, digital series for NBC, American Ninja Warrior, this new series where I give all access behind the looks, talk to the athletes, all that good stuff. And they thought it'd be fun if I actually attempted the obstacles. So the yeah. first season, the idea was like, this will be great. Get up there, fling off of it. It'll be hilarious. So whether I wanted to or not, whether I had the ability or not, I just failed my face off and comedically entertaining. It was great. So like yes. literally 17 episodes, multiple ep like obstacles a day. And the interesting thing is, uh, so that was season one. After season two though, they were like, you know what? It'll actually play better if you were good at these obstacles. So now literally overnight, <laughs> yeah. I had to get good at these impossible feats. But that was the kick in the butt to start going and training with the athletes more seriously. Uh, what was really interesting though, is this sport is so hard. So yeah, I was still is. gaining ground and doing better. First, I had to, I noticed this. I mean, there's so much density to this, but I'll, I'm gonna hit on all of them. The first thing I realized was the biggest obstacle was not outside of me, but inside of me. Ailey. Because I needed to challenge this belief that I always fail was a lie that I always fall, that I always drop, that I can't do this. And I noticed this because physically I was getting stronger and my body could go farther than my brain was letting me. Yeah. You watch film of you doing obstacles. My buddy's like, why did you stop there? And I was like, and really it just began because my brain didn't think I could keep going yep. even though I could. Now, an interesting thing was also ego. And I don't mean ego in a negative way. I, I want to reframe that up. Just how you feel about yourself. 
because I was a D1 athlete. I won US Lacrosse Coach of the Year. And now I'm really trying my best to get good at this yeah. very difficult sport. And I'm failing still because it's so hard. <laughs> and it's for my job. All the athletes are looking. They've got cameras. It goes on the internet. Yeah. So there was many weeks and months where I was really doing my best and I was still falling and I was getting through half of the obstacles, but then I'd fall. And that was really tough because I was afraid every time I fell that I was going to get fired. Uh, this is a pretty coveted mm. job. And uh, yeah. a lot of the athletes would gladly switch over it and do what I was doing. Um, so I was afraid I was going to get fired. And it was also just embarrassing. Yeah. It's embarrassing to struggle at something when a lot of people are watching. And, and, and I really, and this is where I joke, but it's the truth and it's in the book that I wrote. Uh, I came up with a fail formula of what happens every single time you fail because I was like, I need to distill this down to an objective chain yes. reaction to neutralize my negative voice. Uh -huh. um, but, you know, ultimately in all of that, uh, there is a threshold where you start to do something. And I remember the first big obstacle that I got on was the stuff that I finished was the season finale of the show in Vegas on this huge obstacle. And I did it. And that was like, it still means so much to me because that was, it was tangible proof of, it was tangible proof to my negative mind that, oh, damn, you've gotten good at this. Yeah. You can actually do this now. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, I'm pretty sure I watched that episode, by the way. I, I didn't, I wouldn't have been able to tell you that until you replayed that moment, but I remember that now. And uh, I just, again, thanks for letting me poke fun at you a little bit around that. Of and, course. and then giving like the real truth around the dynamic of it. You know, I like your term creature. And what's interesting yeah. is when you said creature, what instantly like vibrated through me was creative. Oh. Right. I feel like creature and to be a creature, it means to have a creative outlet, a creative flow, right? Something to express who we are or how we do it. And so I was wanting to give you that to hopefully expand even what you're doing with the creature concept, because what that's what I've seen you do, at least in what I've studied so far, is you have lots of creative outlets. Thank and you, you integrate humor into your into your social media. You integrate humor into just even normal conversation. You have a levity. You can create depth. You know, you are creative with your words and the images with which you paint with them. And so what I'd like to know is what is your greatest creative passion and where are the biggest hurdles in you expressing your creativity as the creature that you are? Oof. Good question. Right now, uh, man, I am so grateful and honored and blessed and excited and challenged to be doing keynote speaking. It is, it is an incredible, um, I guess I could say occupation. Um, it's, so much bigger to me and so doing that is such an incredibly wonderful opportunity to be creative yes of okay how do we connect with the human beings in the room who are both high achieving professionals leaders and also human beings <laughs> and that sweet spot has brought my fulfillment and i will say in a wonderful way which is so validating it's brought the impact 
to another level. And I, and I think that's just the times we're in is nobody wants to pretend like we're not human beings anymore. And I think whatever fallacy of put on your professional, totally polished face went away in those last, you know, 2020, all that. Yeah. Um, but there's a way to harness your humanity. So, so that I will say is I have just so much respect for what that craft is. And I just want to continually honor it and improve. Um, my biggest challenge to creative is, is not sharing my voice as much as I need to really on social media because of my own limitations, my yeah. own, uh, fear of judgment. Um, and that has one that I'm, uh, in this season of life powering through because I know that it's just what I need to be doing. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll offer one thought around that. Cause I think it, it is pretty interesting. Um, one, I'm curious, do you know what the fear of judgment is connected to for you? Ooh, dude, I, I, I uh, as you, I've been clocking in some big therapy, especially through this breakup. Uh, I will say, I think it's so deeply rooted to love and survival. Um, meaning like if I'm not approved in some way, I'm not loved or accepted or I'm not going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, uh, probably tied to the same root as some of the relational issues. So we'll, we'll loop that back later, but keep pay attention to that. Cause even what you just said, I, I don't believe they're mutually exclusive. Yeah. They're connected. Yeah, they're congruent. Um, and so take that for what, what it is, my friend. Um, I really appreciate how you talk about men you admire. Wow. What does that mean to you? And what does a man look like that you admire? Yeah. So that moment when it happened, um, I don't use the word admire. It's not, I would have written like men I look up to, men I respect men I want to be, but the word admire was, was interesting that it came up for me and, and how it all came together. And, and I truly in my bones feel, um, like it was divine intervention and like it was a gift from God to shepherd, to look after. And so, um, that's been beautiful to be able to share that with so many men, to be speaking at colleges at times, to their fraternities on being a man you admire. Um, it's surreal, uh, wonderful. To me, oh man, there's, I don't know if there's one singular man that I fully believe encapsulates all of the qualities that I admire, but I will say there's so many men that I What pops out to me is just quiet strength. Okay. And that that does not mean that you cannot be vocal. Of course you can. I'm very vocal. Um, it does not mean that you have to be physically nor not physically strong. But I, I think what yeah. it means is there's just this safety. Yeah, yeah. You're good. You're good. You're good uh, physically with this man. You're good emotionally. Yeah. With this man, your good well-being, your future's good. You are safe. And I haven't really reflected on it enough until this moment, Brian, to to put that into words. So I appreciate it. But I, yeah. I think and I, I I love you know I've had so many incredible male figures in my life, from my father to coaches to grandpas, 
um, that is the quality that pops out to me the yeah. most is um, you are safe. Yeah. Well, the quiet strength, you know, it's interesting because I have been talking about gentle intensity recently as well, <clears throat> right? Which is, which is kind of the same thing. And I teach this concept of soft front and strong spine, right? Like we can't be a protector and connector in the spaces if we don't ensure that everyone in them is safe and protected, seen and understood and connected. But that requires us to drop our own <clears throat> armor and have an open front, a soft front, right? Because nobody wants to lay their head down on a chest piece. The only way you can do that is if you actually have a strong spine by knowing who you are, being clear on your boundaries, understanding of your desires, your limits, your, your just all of it, mm-hmm. right? Your patterns. It, it requires you to actually know that you have nothing you really need to protect so that you can facilitate that space for others. And mm-hmm. I really appreciate the focus on safety, right? I mean, it's something that I talk about a lot because it's something that my family did not experience emotional safety with me for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Right. I provided physical safety. I provided financial safety. I provided like protection, levity, humor, leadership, all these other things. But yeah. I did not facilitate emotional safety. Now I did in many moments because I was, I always was intentional with that. But of course, but there was many moments that they did not feel that way. Yeah. And that was one of the things that I constantly would ask myself when I was starting to know myself in moments of reaction in my shame or my anger was literally, are my wife and kids feeling safe? That's so where, good, bro. Where did that where did that concept of safety get rooted and grounded for you in your life? Because it's powerful. Well, I really just want to commend what you're saying there. And I think that that is such an admirable quality in that um, you know, we we do want self-care and looking after ourselves. But what yeah, I, I really admire about what you're saying, and I'm reflecting, and I think this is part of my maturation in um, in areas of my life where I, I, I don't feel like I've fully grown into the man that I want to be. Uh-huh. I love how you said, you know, do the people who matter to me feel safe? Like what an amazing question to, to have as your lens. You know, there's, there's really no way to answer your question without just getting to it. And, uh, my dad and I are very close. We have a great relationship. Um, he's got a big heart. And he's got a lot of intensity and to use your language, it is not gentle intensity. It's, 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 yep. it's, it's loud. It's, it's, I lot. identify with all of that by the way. And yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, he's a big heart. He's supportive. I guarantee you he's going to find this episode and listen because he loves me and he's supportive and he's awesome. Um, but growing up, I, I felt like his emotions would sometimes get the better of him and outrule that part that was so caring, then fear emotions would get the better. Uh And uh, that would show itself, you know, at some very loud volumes at times. And so I think that is where I first felt that feeling of not safe. Yeah. Um, Not physically or anything like that, but just uh, emotionally safe. And um, it's still here, man. You know, yeah. I'm at a moment in my life where I'm realizing, especially, you know, leaving this relationship, uh, I'm just being real that it's at a moment in my life where I'm like, wow, this is the moment to yeah. heal this stuff. I can um, see that yeah. brother. I can see yeah. that that's the crossroads that you're at. And I'm again, just gracious that you're here and being so willing yeah. to even talk about the fork in the road that you're standing at. Yeah. And it's a real one. 
and I, and I, and I can already see the paths that exist in front of you. And I see where you're at. And I just want to honor you for the strength that you're having to be vulnerable enough to talk about it, be real enough to honor your father for all of the good that mm-hmm. he is and recognize that, right. That, that it's not mutually exclusive because a lot of those same traits and qualities are what condition some of the greatest treasures you have in your life. Mm-hmm. And so to be able to view those through that lens is, is powerful. And thank you for that. Um, you know, I would love to know, cause again, we've talked a little bit of humor, levity and lightness. And I know that this was like a, a heavy portion of the conversation and I, <laughs> and I'm grateful for that. And yeah. I, I, I want to go deep, but I also know we've got a tight timeline today. So I want to make sure that we get to a few other things. Is it? I'm really curious, how important is humor as a coaching tool and as a life tool for you? Oh man. I mean, humor saved me when I was a bullied kid, I would make people laugh. And even with my dad, and if they, you know, if he was going for the phone bill, and the phone bill was too high, I'd put on his glasses before him and make jokes. And so I've been a, a jester, an entertainer, my entire life, and it's proved to be a great thing for meeting friends. For at times, I use it as a sincere, uh, too much as a mask because I didn't feel comfortable yeah. for confidence. Yeah. But really, when I became a high school lacrosse coach, I was at this intense, prestigious high school in Los Angeles, and I was named interim head coach right before the season because the head coach left. And that was the first time where I realized, oh, humor is an effective tool because things would get scary. We'd be heading into overtime or someone would make up, uh, yeah. would miss a big play. And it's like, you can joke around with them a little bit. And all of a sudden, and in the words of Jim Carrey, in order to laugh, you must feel safe. So if I can joke around with you, even though you just screwed up that goal that we needed, bro, you're good, man. You're good. You still look clean with that jersey, dude. If you can laugh a little bit, you're safe. If you're safe, you're going to want to continue to play, be confident, play well, and make the next play. And so when I took over the program, the school had never won a playoff game. That first year, it won the LA championship. Um, That was my tangible proof of being positive, using humor, caring about people, you can win big with that. And I found that to be really helpful in all areas of life. I've actually lectured at Stanford Business on using humor as a leader. It is learnable. There are things that you can learn to be more human, to let people in on aspects of yourself or connect through hardship. And that's one of the beautiful gifts about humor is you can take something that's so painful and hard and scary and real and raw, and it can be all those things, and it's kind of funny too. It's yeah. kind of funny. Yeah. Yeah. I find that being able to take myself less seriously is, yep. is, is a really solid place to exist because, you know, to your whole point on judgment and all the armor that we carry and all these places that we protect ourselves, like it, it again, it limits creativity. It, it limits fun. It limits humor. It limits, it limits so many elements of the human experience that make us so dynamic. Um, you know, it's interesting because you noted that hiring people is a challenge for you. And and though there's <laughs> economic, you know, things that go on in the economy and different pieces that maybe make sense for that, right? Lack of talent, the talent field and all of it. But but as it relates to who you are and the way that you engage with people and the depth you have, that seems odd to me. So well, help me understand. I, I think that... Um... <clears throat> One of the beautiful things about coaching was that we were together every day for two hours. And so those bonds, it was just like, we're in it together and we're working through things together. I think one challenge that I faced is 
having that connection, especially in remote or, you know, the, I, I won't dance around. Really it is, is I have teamed with and met and worked with people that are so amazing. And really what it is, is that they care about what they're doing and they're passionate about it. And that quality can sometimes be difficult to find if you are hiring for just one role. Um, and I have actually pushed back on myself though, because I think that I need to display more leadership, um, with some people that do care, they just need the cultivation. And so that is the season now that I'm in is realizing there's no perfect hire. It's finding people who have some abilities and more than anything, They've got the drive. They want to be good at this. They care. If someone is, the fork in the road for me is if someone is just trying to get it done or get to five or we're just not going to be aligned. And that doesn't mean that you can't work with somebody who's very efficient and gets it done. But um, that commodity of caring is, I just increasingly learn how powerful that is. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, I, I'm going to ask your permission to give you feedback on something on this show, even though you have no idea where I'm going with it. Do I have permission? You, you got it, man. You know, it, it, it's interesting because I think in you, some of the areas of protection uh, jump out to me. That's one of the things I see, right? Uh-huh. And so it's interesting from a leadership perspective, because I do think that a dynamic of this is still tied to the shame that's rooted in your fear of judgment. And I would argue that you probably have a hard time setting boundaries because you also care so much for people that you're going to give them a very, 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 very long leash to hang themselves. I could be wrong on that. But my sense is, is that part of it as well is about how clear are the boundaries that you're setting as a leader for the expectations coming into the role? And how are you fostering the structure of accountability to take people where you know you're capable of taking them, right? And so what's interesting is it's not that much different from coaching. And so if you look at it from more, how do I guide, lead, coach my team to get the best for them and from them in the time that they work with me and for me, then it's no different than your clients who have a season with you as well. But then you maximize connection, productivity. But right now, I think you don't feel completely safe and you've got a protectionary nature to the way that you lead. 100% because uh, what I do is means so much to me, whether it's the speaking work or whether Uh it's the men's work. Um, It means so much that I have hard time letting someone in and trusting that they could look after it. You're, you're, you're spot on and uh, you know, trust can be given. It can be earned. It can be um, you're spot on, but it's at a point where I need to, give more trust to people. And, you know, one of my theses is, is that you can surprise yourself and people can surprise you of what they're capable of. Totally agree. Um, but you hit it, man. There needs to be trust and opportunity to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So I just wanted to reflect that back to you, my friend. Thank you for being again, so open and sharing. Cause yeah. again, what, what the reality of it is, is, is what you're identifying are things that are true to almost every single leader who's been in the leadership position at yeah. some point in their role, right? Yeah. There's, Differences with boundaries, communication, fostering connections with teams. Like, I mean, it's all of it. It's this, this human experience is so damn complicated. And yep. the roles that we play and vary between while still trying to maintain congruence with who we are, 
can sometimes not be consistent. And so that's, it's a challenge. And I just, I appreciate the way that you navigate and the way that you communicate about these things. Thanks, man. You know, you've added so much value here and you've really embedded a lot of the philosophies that you help men you admire, that you help individuals that you coach, that you teach from stage. And you've embedded so much of your wisdom, your own experience, your rawness and your realness in it. I would love to know if you could give us a clear understanding of the ways that you engage with individuals and organizations and the best way for them to be able to engage with you. Because brother man, I'm all about impacting over a billion lives as quickly as I can. And it doesn't matter if it's my name, it's collective impact. So I want everybody in our world to know who you are because I'm not the right fit for everybody. Just like you're not the right fit for everybody, but we're communicating the same message at a different frequency that others will receive. So Please let us know and give us your best of your best because I want people to come find you, bro. (laughs) Brother, I love it so much. Uh, So, you know, as as Brian said, keynote speaking is amazing. Um, The impact, the connection with human beings in the room for big organizations like Xerox, Credit One, uh, associations. Um, So I'm alexweber.com for all keynote speaking, leadership and peak performance, unstoppable teams and being the unstoppable you. So that is first and foremost, greatest passion on earth. Uh, I also do ongoing coaching and consulting with companies and top leaders. And the last group is Men We Admire, which is the men's group for men to be men that we admire in all areas of our lives. Social media, I'm Alex Weber on all the things. Man, I love it. I would love it if you could leave us with a closing thought. Yeah, you know, uh, as you were kind of summing this up, I this thought came to mind of, you know, if this was my dying breath, what would I say? And God... Hopefully it is not. Um, commit to you. I have quit on myself before, and it is a gnawing, relentless, undermining agony. It's torture. No matter what you want to do, you'll figure it out. You'll learn. You'll bob and weave. Maybe you'll take some wrong turns. You'll have some messy conversations. But if your backbone, if your heartbeat pulse is always standing with yourself, committing to who you are, and believing that maybe good things are ahead, not believing that negative voice that points out your worst qualities, but maybe the voice that actually likes you and accepts that you have not been perfect, accepts that you have screwed up in your life, you've nailed some things, you've missed some opportunities, you're here exactly where you are right now, commit to you unwaveringly and amazing things can happen. Thank you so much for being here with us today, brother. Brad, I appreciate you, brother. Yeah. For those of you that just watched Alex, he flipped open his lid, man. He dug deep with us today. <laughs> and I think what we all learned was some really clear patterns and lessons that even if you chase your heart, your desire, your passion, that the world can still put narratives on you that cause you yeah, to sure. feel a lack of your own identity. You can see that sometimes lack of emotional safety can create layers of armor and protection that limit trust in multiple categories of life. And the repair that's required does absolutely mean you've got to jump inside and be able to actually unpack the pieces that are keeping you stuck so you can find not just the trash you need to remove but the treasure that's formed behind all that trash pressure alex is a demonstration of what's possible and his vulnerability and heart today are truly bringing people together and connecting them while he's continually trying to connect deeper with himself and them it's a part of the human experience but if you learned one thing it's just commit to you And committing to you means all of you, the trash and the treasure. 
For you to free yourself though, it's gonna require you to flip your lid and scan your can.